Hello and welcome. I'm Barry Harker and this is Life Learnings. My guest today is Dennis Perry. Dennis is President, Operation Food for Life, a registered charity doing humanitarian work among the poor and disadvantaged in Port Moresby, New Guinea. Volunteers do all the work and the organisation relies on donations to fund its work. Last week, I spoke with Dennis about his involvement with Operation Food for Life. Today, I'll be talking with Dennis about his own remarkable life and then we're going to come back to his involvement with Operation Food for Life at the end. For those who didn't hear last week's conversation, here are some of the things done by Operation Food for Life. Feeding, clothing and providing spiritual support to a community of up to 500 plus people living on and near a rubbish dump on the outskirts of Port Moresby. Feeding patients dying of HIV AIDS or tuberculosis in hospital. Regular prison visitation. This includes feeding the prisoners on special occasions along with providing Christian DVDs and spiritual support. Regular visitation and feeding programs in various institutions for the physically and mentally challenged and the hearing impaired. Providing a school and food and learning resources for this school, which caters for children from the rubbish dump and nearby poor settlements. Feeding and supporting a care centre for up to 35 disadvantaged children by resourcing learning materials for elementary teaching feeding children living in poor conditions in settlements. Dennis's involvement with this work is remarkable enough, but behind his involvement with humanitarian work is an even more remarkable life story. Few people are called upon to face the challenges that confronted Dennis in growing up. How Dennis overcame these challenges to become a Christian, successful executive and prominent humanitarian is the focus of our conversation today. In the first part of the program, I'll be talking with Dennis about his early life. Welcome again, Dennis. Thanks very much, Barry. Good to be here. I thoroughly enjoyed last week's conversation. I know that talking about your life may be a little difficult for you because not everything that happened was pleasant, but um, I know that uh, what you have to say will be an encouragement to people who've gone through similar experiences. Dennis, tell us something about your early life. Born in Adelaide as a, a, a youngster and uh, parents moved to Sydney in my early years. Um, lived uh, in different areas of Sydney, uh, early in the southern suburbs of Sydney. Um, a very um, uh, standard family, uh, not well-to-do with family. Uh, but uh, my father was a practising Catholic. Uh, mum was an Anglican at that stage. And, um, however, over the fullness of time, both... Um, um, no longer practiced their faith, but held to their faith. Um, didn't ch- turn, uh, go to church regularly. Um, I was made to go to church, uh, forced to go to church. So in my early years, in terms of Christian education, uh, I was in a Catholic school, uh, and uh, then I went to, uh, then I ended up going to a, a public school. Tell me about the first major challenge that you had to face in your life. Mm. I was living at uh, Miranda in the southern suburbs of Sydney at this stage. I was only seven years old, and uh, maybe it was six, but it was an early age. And, and I this can, is in the early 1950s. Yes, and I can remember all these uh, events as though they happened yesterday. Um, I can remember that I was in the playground at uh, morning tea time, at break time, and uh, and I can remember uh, collapsing on, on the ground uh, with the teachers come running over and they thought, oh, he, he just injured himself running. 
But uh, on closer inspection, they found that I was unconscious. I was uh, taken to a to their first aid room in school, uh, where uh, I was then transported by the school to a doctor, and uh, the doctor assessed me, uh, called an ambulance, and at high speed, the ambulance was um, uh, taking me uh, to La Perouse, where there was a hospital for uh, rare infectious diseases. Obviously, the doctor had identified something very serious, identified it was enough that it was just a, a rare disease. Um, I remember the journey with the siren screaming, and I, I, I remember... Uh, so not, you'd regained consciousness by this yeah, stage? Yeah, by that stage, I can remember being in the in the ambulance journey that's all I can remember uh, and I remember being very sick uh, in the ambulance because of the speed of the, the, um, of the ambulance was going obviously there's a sense of deep urgency to get medical professional medical attention uh, on arriving at the hospital I was further assessed uh, where they um, doctors uh, uh, oh by the way in the meantime my mother and father had been called from work and they made themselves made them, themselves out made tracks over to uh, La Perouse and uh, on arriving there the doctors said that uh, I had contracted a disease called encephalitis it's a, it's a one that very few people uh, ever survive uh, they suggested they call the priests um, and give the last rites um, it was evident to the doctors and the professionals there that I wasn't going to live within the next 24 hours that was done Encephalitis is a disease carried by a mosquito, more prevalent in irrigation areas, uh, such as the Murray, another name for it is the Murray Valley Sleeping Disease. And uh, a mosquito carries this virus that is injected into a human being after they've injected it out of a dead animal. And uh, that, uh, once they've injected that disease into a human, uh, that poison goes to your brain and starts closing down the brain. The only antidote at that time, and I think it is still today, is a, a doctor's put a lumbar puncture. It's a huge, huge needle that goes up your spine uh, to start to draw the poison out of your blood system. And that's the procedure that uh, the doctors were now uh, trying to, to um, save my life. Uh, in the meantime, I can't recollect, recall all this. Um, I can't re recollect the, the uh, given the last rites, but I certainly was. Um, I can't, my father can recollect hearing the screamings of my screams coming out from the ward as they put the lumbar puncher in. And uh, during the course of putting the lumbar puncher in, um, uh, my heart had an arrhythm attack and uh, uh, the doctors later told my, my father and mother that I'd actually clinically dead. There was nothing more they could do for me. Um, they put uh, some uh, something on my heart, heart massages to try and get the heart going. Eventually, after about three and a half, four minutes, I came back to life. I see that as a clear evidence of God's intervention in my life, and I praise him for that. So the doctors came out after this intense surgery um, to tell the um, my parents that there was good news and bad news. The first bit of good news is they were able, they were able to save my life, but the second... Uh, news was that I'll never speak or walk again. Uh, my body was totally paralysed. Um, that came as a terrible shock. Uh, I can remember from uh, hospital going, um, uh, being, I was told later I was in a coma for over three months um, as intravenous fed. 
And when I woke up, I can remember being in a sterile room and I can remember the, the, the doctors always and my parents coming in dressed like beekeepers. They were, I was the only person in the room uh, as big as this small studio. Uh, listeners, I am in a very small studio and it's no bigger than this. But, or, but anybody, including nurses, had to be fully clothed, um, not show any skin at all, a bit like Ebola, I guess, because of the fear that of the transfer of that disease into a human being. It was that bad. And so I can remember waking up, and, and it was pretty, pretty confronting at that age group. I can remember um, not being able to talk, walk. I can remember not being able to move any part of my body. But uh, when uh, over the, the, the years, uh, uh, intense therapy, physi- phy- uh, physiotherapy, speech therapy, the, the courage to take to learn to ride and walk again took years. Uh, speech therapy took longer. But praise God that he saw a, a person here that he had something special in mind for him to do. And here's a person that at the age of seven I, should have not, I shouldn't be here today. But not only here today, but I can walk and I can talk and I can serve. And uh, I'll never forget my early years uh, having that experience where, where I didn't know Jesus Christ, but he knew me and had something special he wanted me to do. How long was it before you could walk again and talk? Uh, I came out of hospital after about three years. Um, I was in a wheelchair after that time. Uh, so I guess uh, at three years I could I could say this, Barry. <laughs> I, I can only. <laughs> That's as far as I got after three years. But it was a beginning. Hmm. The comeback was coming, and uh, about four years I, I was on parallel bars, learning to walk over this intense therapy, physiotherapy, and it was intense every day. And I guess about four and a half years later, I could throw the throw my crutches away and the wheelchair away. And uh, however, uh, during those uh, years, I'd lost all my schooling. Um, but uh, I just praise God uh, that uh, he's given me the courage to go through what I've gone through and be able to praise God today uh, for saving my life, both physically and spiritual, and give me the opportunity to serve and share my testimony like I'm going to do today. Mm, that's, a, that's your first miracle. Mm. Tell me about the second one. I just uh, started going back to school um, shortly after this event. It wasn't; it was within 12 months, and I was uh, going down to the uh, local uh, uh, milk bar to to buy a pie for lunch. Uh, this is what we did in those days: five cents for a pie. Gee, where did those times go to? Five cents for a pie. But w- within this uh, milk bar, there was um, a. a, a a man looked quite untidy, unshaven, and he said to the, to me, he said, "Young man, do you want do you want that pie?" And I said, "I'd love that pie, but I don't have the money to do it, to to buy one." Even though my mates have got a pie, he says, "I tell you what," he says, "I'll I'll buy one for you." Uh, so he went over the counter and he he bought me a pie, or it was a chocolate. Now that I recall, it was a chocolate, big, huge, Cadbury's twenty cent chocolate. He said, "Here's a chocolate, and I've got you a double scoop of ice cream." You, you like chocolate? Oh, choc- I love an ice cream. Chocolate? Did you do that for me? He said, "You can have it as long as you get in the car with me. My car's just out here, and why don't you eat it in my car?" 
Now, I've been told as a youngster not to talk to strangers, uh, been warned against that. But when you look at, uh, at the biggest box block of chocolate berry they've ever seen in your life and what mum and dad could never afford to give me, and then not just a single scoop of ice cream but a double scoop, I've got to tell you, the chocolate and, chocolate and the scoop won my vote. So I hopped in the car with this stranger and uh, it, it took off. Within um, uh, within an hour, uh, Mum and Dad had received a phone call that I hadn't returned to school. That uh, straight away the police were called and there was no sight. Uh, within 24 hours, become the, one of the biggest searches in New South Wales crime history for this young person. That was really big news to be kidnapped at a, at a youngster. Just didn't happen in those days. And uh, now you were. Sexually assaulted mm. and left for dead, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was taken to a remote area of of uh, the National Park um, in, in Sydney and uh, sexually assaulted and uh, left for dead and uh, missing. And it was just only through the providence of God that uh, some hunters in the evening, 24 hours later, uh, were hunting rabbits and kangaroos out in the area where I was left for dead by this, this person. And uh, he... Um, the hunter came over with a gun. He thought it was just a baby joey. He could see the skin and the blood. He thought, oh, I'll just go out and put this, and, and a little bit of movement, and that I'll go and put this kangaroo out of its misery, but found out it was a human being. And so I uh, took it straight, straight to hospital. Um, parents were called, police were called, and uh, there began one of the most frantic uh, operations to try and save my life because I had uh, lost so much blood. And uh, so uh, the doctors again uh, started stitching up uh, the body, and again uh, the parents were told, oh, "I'm just not not going to live through this." Uh, battered and bruised, uh, that the the guy getting the knife out and cutting me all up, it was just a, not a happy situation. But praise God that uh, even though uh, I must say that uh, my I was pronounced dead again uh, clinically, this time for five minutes. And I just couldn't get the, the, the body, any life in it at all. Um, I had, uh, had heart attacks on the way to hospital um, and uh, things progressively got worse. But Jesus Christ again intervened and um, I, can re I can remember my recovery in hospital which took a long time. I can remember the Going to going to spend hours upon hours in police lineups, uh, looking at police photographs at different police stations for predators, and I can remember, can remember Barry spending days upon days and weeks when I got better, sitting in detectives' cars, in plain cars, just watching um, previous predators who they had a file on watch watch come out of their houses, and say, "Is that the man? Is that the man? Is that the man?" Uh, for me, that was a pretty exciting time because I didn't realise the ser serious nature of what had happened to my life. I saw it as a pretty an adventure. Wow, I've seen this on TV. Now it's happening to me, sitting in a police car with a police cap on and sitting outside watching uh, suspects come out all day. The reason they'd done that, when I'd looked at lineups all the and police photos, all the photos seemed to be the same. The criminals' faces are all the same. And the lineups, they brought all these people in, they all looked the same. So they said, let's take him out. And it so happened that I did see this man one day come out and I said, that's him, that's the man. Uh, an ensuing police uh, chase took place and then a court case 
took place. And that went on for a protracted for another two years. In the meantime, I uh, and that was man, there a conviction. There was a conviction. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was given life uh, for the the um, atrocity he was committed, um, and uh, it was a very long court case. But I can remember not being so much part of that court case. I remember testifying in court. I can't remember being there every day, but it was pretty confronting and trauma and a big trauma when it came to court because it was something I wasn't ever used to, nor would I say my parents were used to. So in the meantime, uh, I, I still didn't know God, but Jesus Christ knew me. And I Someone just was looking after you because this was your, this is your second clinical death. Yeah. Tell me about the third one. The third one was um, I'd just recovered from this incident and now I was 16. I'd now missed most of my schooling. Um, my father said to me, Dennis, he said, look, I think what we should do is, is let's go away to Wollongong for a weekend and uh, have a father and son get together. You've got to have a break and, and, and let's, have, have, let's go fishing. He said, yeah, that will be great. So we went to Wollongong and in a caravan and, and uh, it was uh, it rained uh, the first day we got there and uh, I'd gone through the soft drink and, the, and in the caravan and Dad said, take, this, take the empty soft drink bottle to the local shop and get another bottle of lemonade. In those days, Barry, you had to return the bottle to the shop to get a refund on the bottle. And as the rain poured down, as I raced up to the raced up to the shop to get the refund on the bottle and purchase a new bottle of lemonade, um, I I slipped on the stairs going into the shop, and I had the bottle in my hand, and I was running at such a force that the bottle and the hand collapsed on the on the step with such force that it actually cut off uh, half my my right hand. There was a one huge, um, my, my fingers were all coming off the bone, and uh, the lady behind the counter saw it and she fainted, and I was screaming, and Dad heard the scream. It must have measured 6.5 on the Richter scale. I think everybody in the caravan part heard it. Uh, immediately the shop owner came out with an ice box, put the hand in the ice box with my arm in it, and an ambulance, uh, Dad uh, put me into the car and took me to the emergency hospital at Wollongong Hospital. But uh, soon I, I, I didn't, I didn't realise at that stage, Barry, that not only they're going to try and restore the hand, which is nearly peeling off the off, off, not only restore the hand, but restore my life. And um, during the course of uh, the operation, uh, the the heart stopped, and I wasn't told of that till years later because of uh, my my journey and what I've been through. Uh, my parents told me later, and the way they got my heart going from being clinically dead is putting um, some monitors onto the heart shocks to to, to try and get the, the, the heart going. And eventually, after uh, four and a half minutes, they got the heart going. Uh, not only was my, my life restored, uh, but my hand um, was restored as well. And during the convalescence, which was some time in plastic surgery after, as then when Jesus Christ came to me in, in, in the, um, while I was recuperating in, in the hospital wards, and you've got to remember I spent a lot of time in hospitals, uh, convalescing in hospitals as patients, but this was pretty special, Barry. I never got the voice, never got the impression, never knew Jesus, but he knew me and he came to me when I needed him most. He said, Dennis, he said, uh, your life's not your own anymore. And it's so clear, and the message was so clear uh, that I own it, 
I claim it. And uh, I won't revolt, reveal to you what I've got in store for your life, but it will involve medical work in the South Pacific Island. And I thought, now hang on, I, I must be still hallucinating here. Uh, please stop giving me this medication because I've never been overseas. I didn't know any islands in the South Pacific, never been on a plane. And here am I thinking that God is going to use me, a, a person that gone through through all this and and through the life's journey it's, I've learned just so so much so much and praise God for saving me to serve at this point you've gone through three pretty remarkable experiences how did they impact on your life I mean your family was very supportive but I can imagine all that time that you spent away from school had mm. an impact mm. on your education and your career prospects what was it like Apart from these experiences, what was your what was your experience of your early life like? What, uh, were, you, what were your interests? After these, these experiences, uh, I was very introverted. I couldn't make friends very easily. I guess I was scared of being hurt again by somebody. I'd rather cross over the street than meet somebody and look them in the eye. Um, I had little education and little hope for any future. What could I offer a company who wanted me with little education? We're talking about major impacts on your life, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we're talking about personal things that, that personally affected me. Uh, the, the unknown, what do I do now? Here am I, I've got uh, no school, I can't go back to school, I'm you know, 15, 16 out of school now, what do I do from here? So it was the fear of the unknown and uh, this introversion, uh, uh, the person you see now is not the person I was. But through God, he's, through God's grace, and uh, I've learnt, and He's taught me this: that a setback can be a setup for a comeback. Hmm. And no matter what circumstances I've learned in my journey in life, I don't care what setback you or I have had. If we give our our, our life to Jesus Christ, it can be a setup for a comeback so great that you'll be such a blessing to others. All the experience that you've described is helping you to understand the very people that you're going to serve in the future, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, because I've, I can relate to people being paralysed. Uh, I can relate to people being on the garbage tip of life, uh, being in, in so desperate situations. Uh, I've seen it and experienced that. I did not know that God at that stage was giving me the experience before the events and I praise that because that taught me so much compassion and um, I fully understood what he needed me to do, wanted me to do that no one else was doing. I'm sure God didn't want those things to happen to you, but no. he, he used those experiences to prepare you for a life of service in yeah. the future yeah. in which you could understand what people have had to go through, yeah. how they feel marginalised, yeah. you know, the physical challenges that they have to face, the health challenges. Yeah, and, and when I look, when I go and see paralysed people and give them wheelchairs, I can see two things. I can see me looking back at myself, but I can see Jesus looking back through them to me because Jesus says, in so much as you do these things for the least of these, you're doing these as though it was me. And what a blessing it is to be able to relive your life, but in this time, but do it for Jesus Christ. Let's go back to that point in your life where you feel that like God has spoken to you. Mm. and he's telling you about what he wants you to do in the future. You think you're hallucinating, but mm. 
it was clearly God speaking to you mm-hmm. in whatever way he was speaking to you at the time that you understood. What happened after that? Where did you go spiritually and what happened in your career? I, um, I, when I came out of hospital, I knew I had to do something for God to repay him for what he's done for me. Originally. So you acknowledged that absolutely. this was God that had no, helped you to survive? Absolutely. No drug. It was God. And I was absolutely convicted of that. But I had, uh, as God doesn't give you the, the, the full story all in, in advance, I was just trying to find, well, what do you, want, what do you expect from me now, God, with, with what I've been through? And I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll, I'll go into a book and Bible house and, or I'll go door to door selling Bibles and that'll be in some way repaying him and, and, and telling people about my life. But it wasn't that. Uh, it so happened that a, a, an American evangelist was, uh, was having an evangelism series. Um, in that meantime, I'd got work as a storeman in, in a grocery store. Um, one of uh, the sales representatives used to call on the store uh, was a Christian person from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. He worked for a company, Sanitarium Health and Wellbeing Company, and he got to know me and knew my heart and knew that I wanted to work for a for God. And so it so happened that uh, that exactly coincided with a evangelism series that Earl Cleveland from the United States was having and invited me to the evangelistic series. And uh, from that series, um, I, uh, I was convicted uh, to the church and uh, the sanitarium representative uh, got me a job with sanitarium as a store, store person. So how, how old are you at this stage? Uh, at that stage, I was 23. So uh, I served, uh, and that's exactly what I want to do. I, I, I was going from a senior, going from a, from a, a worldly company into a God-owned company, and that's exactly what I want to do. Not having in mind that they'll take me as I is with no no education. A storeman doesn't have to go to university to move boxes or to load trucks. That'll do me. If that's God, if that's what God wants me to do, you've got me, and I'll give you all. I'm going to be the best storeman that you've ever got. God, you just watch me. And everything I've done, Barry, for God, I've got to give it the best. Not mediocre, but give it the best. Mm. And uh, so that's where my journey began in terms of, of uh, in my early years. Into You're workforce. 23. Mm. You've made a religious commitment. Mm. How did you meet your wife? I met uh, um, Marge, my wife, uh, at the company I worked for. It was at that stage at Lewisham. Um, and she was working in, as a secretarial Born up as an Adventist of her life, I wasn't, and uh, over two two years later we were married. So and we're happily fought, going through our forty second wedding anniversary. So yeah, uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. So blessed uh, that God not only gave me a life, gave me a mission, but gave me a partner in life that supported the mission wholeheartedly and fully. You're so blessed. Now you weren't destined to stay in that position as a mm. storeman, were you? No, that's right. Um, People ask me uh, how how did I achieve success within the areas I work with. I, I went into senior responsibilities with sanitarium. Uh, this included uh, New Zealand, going to New Zealand in the, in a sales and marketing position, uh, in the highest position in the company in that role. Uh, care, being so uh, let's just stop there for a moment. Mm. You've come from a background where you've had very little education. Mm. Your education is impacted. Mm. Your career prospects were impacted. Mm. How did you make that transition from that 25-year-old storm and newly married to a senior executive position? Very difficult. 
very difficult because uh, when, when I was asked to take on senior responsibilities and they called me to do it in my career with Sanitarium Health and Wellbeing, I looked over my shoulder and said, are you sure you're talking to me? Because of the calling that they were calling the me to... The lack of confidence is showing absolutely, through. Absolutely, absolutely. I was looking after the, looking after over my shoulder. Today, I don't look after over my shoulder when God's calling me for something to do. I know that that's a call to action. That's what He wants me to do. But in those days, I was, no, look, sh- please, there's got to be someone else better than I. I was doing the Aaron. Please go and find someone, Moses. Find Aaron. Find an Aaron in my life. There's got to be someone who can talk better than what I can. And I was really confronted because in jobs as being a sales representative, I had to meet people eye to eye. And remember, I had real problems with that because of my, my past. And that was a huge, big ask, a huge ask, and I was scared to death. But you see, God owns me now. He owned me then. He said, Dennis, you know, this is your job. I'm calling you to this. And so do what seems impossible, and finally it will become routine. And so I went into the area within my role of, of responsibilities in, in sales representative. Then I went into uh, account management, uh, calling on the big chains to sell our products. From there, I went into um, uh, management for the company, which included when I was called to be a, a, a sales and marketing manager oh, at that stage, the, the, the company's biggest program was in New Zealand. I said, now, hang on, God. <laughs> I've never, I, I've only been, I haven't got a university. People say, Dennis, tell this position, you've got a, what, what, you've got a BA? I say, I sure have. Oh, that's a Bachelor of Arts, Administration, BA, Bachelor, born again. You, you see, Barry, I, everything that I've been, I've been educated in the University of Heaven. And everything that God's asked me to do, far beyond my capabilities, I'm not capable of being what the company asked me to do. I've said, here's the pencil. I've got to write a marketing strategy, present it to the board, the board, and do all this, all the strategy for the company. I said, here's the, here's my borrow, God, start writing, because I can't do it. And yet there are other people with degrees all around me in the office. Why me? But you see, God, when. God's building up your confidence, ab- isn't it? Absolutely. And then I went into. He sent me to to England and and then I, I cared for the sales and marketing project for the company in Southeast Asia and the South Pacific Islands but it's nothing that what I've ever done Barry that's the most amazing thing with little knowledge and just surrendering yourself to God and say I can't do this mm. you own me show me because I trust you I put my life and my conviction in your hands because I know you've got the answers and it's never let me down yet Never. And he's still continuing to teach me today. I don't know everything, and I praise him for continuing to teach me on my Christian journey. It's a pretty amazing story. So you finally arrive at the upper echelons of management mm. in the Sanitarium Health Fit Company. Mm. And um, then while you're working at the company, mm. you visit the Pacific Islands mm. And this is the link. This is where the Lord really opens up to you mm. what he wants you to do. Absolutely. So yeah. in some ways, your life is just a preparation for this amazing work that you do through Operation Food for Life. It was an apprenticeship, wasn't it? Oh, so I was going through this fantastic <laughs> apprenticeship for even bigger things to come. 
I thought, you know, being a sales and marketing manager. But it's not your title in life that's really important, Barry. It's your testimony. And all of a sudden, God had taken this young person out of a hospital bed who called him by name and said, I'm going to have some work for you to do in the South Pacific. And all of a sudden, years later, here am I in the South Pacific on a rubbish dump, feeding people on a rubbish dump. Did you have that conversation with God in the back of your mind through all those years? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that never left me because he was made that very clear. But to what extent that would be, I only knew that as soon as I walked off the rubbish dump. But by the time you got to the rubbish dump, Mm. you could feel that this was something that you really needed to do. You were driven to do this. Yeah, I was. I was confronted by it because I'm I'm in a very comfortable environment now. You know, I've got all the trappings of living in the Western Western world and everything that comes with, with a very comfortable living. Uh, I'd never been... I'd seen poverty... But you, you see these visuals and you read about it and they're gone. The TV's switched off, the paper's gone into the rubbish bit tomorrow. But I never knew poverty existed so close to Australia. And that's and when God took me to that rubbish dump, I've got to tell you, I was really scared and say, please don't ask me to do this, God, um, because I'm so busy, I've got enough to do. But when people, I've learnt... In my experience, when when you're taken to a peop, to somebody in need, God is drawing those people to your attention, knowing that you're in a position to do something to help those, whether it be your next door neighbour, whether it be a friend, or whether it be somebody in hospital, you're in a position to do something. And so I got out of the car, and, and that's where we started ministering to the people on the rubbish dump. This is really quite an amazing life story, not just the work that you're doing for Operation Food for Life, but mm. just the entire story from mm. you know, that first early experience mm. in hospital right through to becoming a senior executive, overcoming all the challenges that life has confronted you with, mm. but doing it through divine grace and power. Mm. It's a pretty amazing story. Humanly impossible, but only God can do the impossible with the impossible. Just think about it. Now, I just want to encourage the listeners, Barry, that whatever obstacles you've got in life, just put them in God's hands. He'll turn them into opportunities. As you've been talking, I've been trying to think about what my life might have been like if I had had those three major experiences that mm. you had mm. in your early life. Because mm. I'm not an exact contemporary, but no, I do remember the 1950s and mm. uh, growing up in the 1950s. And... Uh, it seems to me that if I had been confronted by those circumstances, uh, it could have been potentially life-changing in a, in a way that sort of denied me a happy, f- um, fulfilling, complete life. Mm. But somehow you've managed to come through all that. Now, your wife and you don't have any children, do no. you? Thousands of children, actually. But, but, not- you have, <laughs> but you have, as a consequence of your work for the Lord, you mm. have these interactions with... People everywhere. Absolutely. So blessed. So blessed. Children on the rubbish dump, they're ours. Children at the school we built for poor children, they're ours. We've, we've adopted them. They're part of our family. What do you value most about your life today? That Jesus Christ owns it. I value the, the, that I was a chief of sinners before I knew him. I value that I was in the garbage dump of sin before he lifted me out. He, show, he, he took my life from being evil 
and showed me how to live. If you look at the word evil and turn that word around, the word is live. And it taught me that I've got to too go to the people that are evil, go into rubbish dumps of sin and pull them out and give them better, a better life through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Um, so I just praise him for, uh, I praise him for giving me an attitude, a positive attitude, where I could have had a choice in life. You could be either through what you've gone through, be bitter through your life experiences and, and, and throw your fist at God. Don't tell me this. Oh God, look what he's done to me. Or you can be better. Bitterness will hold you and own you for your life. Being better will change your life. Mm. I don't know what our listeners are going through. I want to encourage you. If, if you're going through some hurt, don't hang on to it. Dump it because that hurt will continue. But go and do something for somebody else and then all of a sudden in a, in, who's even worse off than yourself and all of a sudden you'll realise you, God has not forgotten you. He's just waiting for you to do something for him. And look how your life will be radically changed by taking an attitude of being bitter, not better. God owns the better part. Satan owns the bitterness. Take God's side. You'll never be disappointed. And you'll go on to greater success and, and greater love for Jesus Christ than you thought possible. Take that first step. Dennis, describe for me the difference between your early life and your life now mm. from that person lacking in confidence mm. couldn't make eye contact with people mm. goes to a senior executive position mm. is converted to Christianity mm. finds a real purpose in life describe the difference between those two lives in a few words Dennis Perry used to live on earth until he was 17, 18 Dennis Perry died at earth but lived again. Um, Jesus Christ lives in me. Dennis Perry no longer exists only by name. Um, not I, but Jesus Christ and everything. The, the change has been full and complete. The old has been, the old has gone, born again. And, and not only just born again, but give me a mission and a passion that, that uh, has helped me grow and understand what true Christianity means to me as a person and being able to use my thanking God for those life experiences he taught me from the old and that I've been able to take to the new and bring people to Jesus Christ through the, the teachings he's given me and the calling he's given me. What a privilege that he's calling me to go through all these obstacles that I've had in my life. And he could have chosen another, but he called me to do that. I'm just so blessed by that. And I thank him because those learnings have made me a better person as a Christian. It's, it's, by the way, Jesus and I are on the best of terms. Mm. We talk daily. And, and I even consult him when I want to make a purchase at home. If I go to the shopping, where's the best deal? I don't use him one day a week or just on as a need-to-know basis or, uh, look, I'm in a bit of trouble. Get me out of here. But every part of your life. Because he wants to be involved in your life, just not the one day of the, of the week or one day a year, but you just just treat God the way he treats you and watch your life change. Dennis, so it's a pretty amazing story. I really appreciate the way that you've shared it with us. I know that it, it's not always easy to go over things that have been difficult in your life, but 
I can hear that enthusiasm in your in your voice, and I can see mm. it in your face. I want to thank you for sharing that story with us, and I hope that someone out there will be encouraged. Someone who's gone through similar experiences, uh, facing difficulties even now, to know that there is a better life beyond. And if you put your life in God's care, He will care for it. No yeah. matter what happens, you're in God's care, and everything's okay. Look what He's done for me. He's turned my message mess into a message. My trials into triumphs, my scars into stars, my stumbling blocks into stepping stones, and listeners, he can do it for you too. Just put your faith and trust in him. And if you're, whatever you're going through, bad things, that's got to use by date. Better things coming. We're going to go to a break now. When we come back, I just want to return to your work as a humanitarian mm-hmm. and um, look at maybe just what it means in your life now and how people might be able to again engage with you and, mm. uh, and support you. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612 4973456 If you've just joined us, I'm Barry Harker and you're listening to Life Learnings. My guest is Dennis Perry, President of Operation Food for Life. I've been talking with Dennis in the first part of this conversation about his own remarkable early life and his development as a Christian. In this final part of the conversation, I want to return to Dennis's work with Operation Food for Life. Dennis, tell me about a typical day in your life now. A typical day is I'm on duty for God 24-7. The first thing I normally do of a morning and probably the last thing of a night is uh, open the emails and just see what uh, needs to be done in terms of the needs in Pump New Guinea. We have a, a full team of uh, volunteers uh, doing many projects, fulfilling many needs. How many, uh, how many volunteers would you have overall? Uh, they, they vary. We can call on up to 150 volunteers at any one time. Uh, we engage different volunteers uh, every week. There's usually around 12, 13 going out of a weekend on one day and maybe a different 12, 13 on a different day. When we do our a big program uh, at uh, September, we usually engage around 20, 25 volunteers but a pool we can we can uh, uh, call from can be anywhere 150 at more at any one time. So my program is we've got a number of projects. How do we how are we going to get the funds to feed the people in the rubbish dump? How are we going to get the the the, the funds to purchase fruit for the people dying of AIDS in the AIDS wards? I've, we've got a school with 100 children. 
that needs support? What are their needs, whether it be physically or emotional or spiritually? How, what, what can we do to, to, to drive that? Uh, what can we do to get, when I hear of people, that, oh, Dennis, we need a wheelchair for here. We need walking sticks for here. So it's a lot of practical uh, things that will come to me uh, each day uh, in terms of updating what the programs, what their needs are. Uh, and that takes a huge amount of time. That includes following up, going up to going out maybe to pick up, uh, which I'm doing today, picking up clothing from Gosford from a company who's donating clothing. It could be, for example, um, going to meet with Philip Ruddock, our patron for our organisation in Australia from time to time. It could very much be speaking engagements. I'm invited and happy uh, to uh, speak at uh, Rotary clubs, community organisations. I do that a lot. I'm invited to speak at church camps of all denominations. Next week, I'm speaking at the Salvation Army Church. Uh, so uh, that, that's a, a, just a few of the things that I've got to handle every day. It's, uh, there is little time for self in the ministry, but it's not about me. It's about others. And, and, and I just, uh, just love just devoting myself. It just drives me. When I see one success, it just keeps... I'm a driven person. And if I'm going to... F- I think I'd already worked that out. <laughs> <laughs> and look, if I'm having one success, that we've got some books for the school today. Great. What's the next in line? God, what have you got in mind for me to do and how can I do it? Every question I've got is a question, what have you got in mind and how can I do it? And those, those um, hints from heaven, they come regularly. Um, I don't have any... F- trouble uh, filling in a day and by the way at my age age group I'm glad to be so active because at my age group Barry people die in bed and, and I'm, mate I'm going to die with my boots on because I love my Jesus Christ my God my Saviour but I love everybody I serve as though they were part of my family because I want them to be part of God's family mm. I should say that uh, when you came in today there were three whirly birds waiting for you mm. in the foyer mm. of the studios mm because someone dropped them in yesterday, mm. someone who had been to Papua New Guinea, a builder, mm. um, Jim Hawkins. Yeah. He had been to Papua New Guinea, had seen the need up there, yeah. realised that the school was hot because the air was just accumulating in the classroom mm. and has procured three whirly birds for you, which you're going to be taking away with you in your car as you go back to Sydney today. Yeah, sure. And so grateful, and that's how it affects people, uh, that uh, whirlybirds uh, you put on, on roofs. I'm sure the listeners will know what a whirlybird is, but they're not sold in Papua New Guinea at all. You can't get them in Papua New Guinea. And uh, that's going to make a huge difference to our school up there. Uh, when I leave here today, I'm going to the Central Coast, as I said, to pick up clothing. This is clothing that have been donated by the people who donate our uniforms to us. They love so much what we do. They, ta- they talk to other uh, people within the promotional clothing area and ask them if they're not using any material or clothes that they may miss, just send them to them. And so I'm going down there to pick up clothing from, from them as well. When you leave here, you will also have the commitment from us Mm. here in the radio studios to provide you with a copy of the 13 episodes of the Children's Story Hour, which we're just in the process of completing. Yeah, Uh, That uh, 
we will give that to you and you can make that available to the school yeah. in Papua New Guinea. Oh, that's so there's cool. 13 hours of um, stories, yep. many of them from the South Pacific. Yep. So I'm hoping that will be just our little small contribution to your literacy school yeah. up there in PNG. Look, so so blessed by 3ABN, both radio and television. It's uh, they, those those anything you can do like that is going to make a huge difference to those kids, and will be very, they'll be greatly received and and greatly used. So if there's anyone out there who's got some things that they think might be useful mm. for your work, yep. feel free to contact um, Dennis through the website. I'll just repeat it again. It's www.owfl.org.au. You can also go and check our uh, Facebook page and uh, there'll be a link there to your Facebook page as well. Now, I understand that there's a sporting group here on the Central Coast mm. that's doing something for your students up at yeah. the literacy school in yeah. PNG. Tell me yeah. about that. That's an amazing story because we've got a, a school built for poor children, 100 children going there being taught literacy schools. And uh, the principal of the school was down at the, her local park um, and she saw a team called the Rob and Jan Patterson Literacy School, literacy school Rugby League Team she never knew about the the team and certainly never gave them permission to use the name of the school. Uh, so she got talking to them and uh, as a result of that discussion, there's, there's three teams, 51 in, in all. They're playing in, ra- they're playing in ragged clothes. It's a social but an organised competition with an, a number of teams. So she found out they were from the village where our school is. These are, uh, I'm using kids, they're teenagers, maybe 17, 18, 19. Some of them have been involved in crime, most of them are unemployed and most of them are at risk of, of re-offending or getting into crime. And so she invited the, the three teens back to the school for a fellowship lunch and they came, the 51 of them. And she felt a burden in her heart to do something to help these, these people. Uh, these kids. Uh, so look, uh, the long and short is we've supplied the, the 51 um, players through the generosity of Good Gear at, um, on the Central Coast. Their, their, their uniforms, uh, their sh- shirts and, the, and their, their, uh, tra- their shorts and we've got the socks for them. They're playing in the Parramatta Eels colours, not by choice, but that's how it all worked out. And um, uh, as a result of Jim Hawkins coming up there in the last uh, couple of weeks and seeing the uniforms and hearing about the, this team, um, he's been in touch with a contact he has with the Central Coast Rugby League uh, who are playing in a B competition. I think they call themselves the Central Coast Bears. The coach of the B-grade uh, competition said, look, I've been looking for a project involved our players in. I think we, we want to get involved. So he's got all his players providing all their spare boots from their homes to put into a box to, to supply the the, 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 uh, the teams over in Papua New Guinea from the Robin Jan Patterson School. So that's fantastic that, that, uh, that when you do one great thing, somebody else hears about and they want to get involved. And it's just amazing. God, God brings you from, brings you people from all walks of life to accomplish his will and to accomplish his purpose at a particular time. Mm. Those organisations that are providing support, that's that's wonderful support to you. Tell me about Cairns. There's mm. a lady there in Cairns who mm. 
does seminars, I think, mm. charges money mm. for that, mm. and then contributes that money to Operation Food for Life. Tell me about that. It's amazing. And, and look, we don't have a lot of money coming in. We've never appealed for money or asked for money, but this lady uh, in Cairns had, uh, was uh, born in Papua New Guinea, Australian lady, Australian national, but born in uh, Papua New Guinea, and always had a heart to do something in her adulthood back to Papua New Guinea, knowing the poverty. Uh, she had uh, fallen from church for, for many, many years and had been uh, in recent years going back to church probably within the last 12 months. She settled in a church in Cairns uh, in an Anglican church and then she was looking on the website for something she wants to try and do in Palm New Guinea and found our website, Operation Food for Life by Accident, and she contacted me. And uh, from those uh, small beginnings, uh, she uh, is uh, running seminars up there to teach uh, um, adults and children uh, how to make um, things out of wastage, like cardboard, make bangles out of cardboard, wire, can make bangles and other things out of uh, things that people throw away, which are still environmentally friendly but have some use. And there's a lot of people that attend these. So she's runs about running four or five a year with about 10 or 15 people. So all the uh, the registration fee for participating in that she wants to donate to Operation Food for Life. Not only that, is she and her her kids and a friend are coming up in September to help us as volunteers. Not only that, is she's arranging for me to do some speaking engagements and arranging a um, a concert in Cairns for Operation Food for Life when I go on my way to Cairns in. Um, in uh, in May, um, this is a a lady I've never met before, but she's got a great heart. She she's felt the heart of Operation Food for Life, and so I want to be involved in this. Praise God for bringing people to accomplish His will through people like that. When you set out to do something in life like this, when you're serving others, it ripples out, doesn't it? Oh. It impacts on other people's lives and encourages them to do something. And so we're all drawn closer together mm. as, we, as we set out to do something mm. for other people, aren't we? Well, we've fed over half a million people now and, and sustaining love, not just going back, not just one meal, say, never sees again, we're back and back and just demonstrating cross love. Paid forward. Uh, and, and it's just such a, so exciting to, to do this and see change lives as a result of doing that. And so exciting when you see all these people coming to you that God's brought. I, here's, here is some people from Cairns today to help you, Dennis. Here's some people down the central coast are going to give you some boots, Dennis. I can see what the needs is. Don't worry about it. Let me organise it. Yes. Now, you have a favourite Bible oh, passage. yeah, sure. And this is the one that's also the passage for Operation Food for Life. Would mm. you like to read it to us? Mm. For I was hungry and you fed me, thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited. I was a stranger and you came to me. And that pretty well sums up what Operation Food for Life is all about. You may have picked up something else in there, but that's what we do. It's all about, that wasn't given us for our information. It was given as an instruction to go to the least of these and serve these people who without our intervention would have no dignity and no hope. So we're inspired by the example of Jesus Christ where Operation Food for Life seeks to provide physical, emotional and spiritual support. We bring dignity and hope and we bring Jesus Christ to the disadvantaged, the poor and forgotten. What a privilege that is to serve. Now you quoted from Matthew chapter 25, yep. verses 35 and 36. Yep. This is in a passage dealing with the judgment. Yeah. 
God's saying that that's what he values. Yeah. And if you want to know what God values, it's in this, it's yeah. in this passage. Yeah. He values our service for others. He values when we put ourselves out for other people. Yeah. That is part of the way he set the universe up, that we are to be servants for each other. Yeah. As we serve each other, everyone has their needs met. It's, uh, it's an amazing passage, and uh, I think your organization and yourself are fulfilling this particular I'd call it an injunction almost, but it's mm. it's the criteria that God uses when He judges us. Mm. He judges us on how well we have served others, mm. what our motives have been. Uh, an amazing, an amazing passage. So you're doing you're doing work that's very close to God's heart, obviously. Yeah, yeah. and look, the the message, the, the the word of looking after the poor is is mentioned more than ninety five times in the Bible. It, it, it tells me that that's a pretty important work that God's got in mind. Please don't forget it. He keeps underlining it. Keeps saying, "Come back to the word, the poor again." We leave it. We breathe it. It's not words for our information. We're not going to be um, a, a, a organisation missing in action, but Operation Food for Life is a ministry that is, in every part of the word, a mission in action. Hmm. Dennis, you've told us what you really value in life. Would you like to just sum it up and repeat it for us again? What have you learned from your life you think we should all know? Hmm. No matter what circumstances you're going through right now, I don't know. Uh, but listen to listen to my you've listened to my story. A, your setback can be a setup for a comeback. Just surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Give it all, not just every now and then. Um, I, I've I experienced it. I've seen it. I know what Jesus Christ can do. No matter what you're going through right now, uh, your trials can be a triumph. Your difficulties can be a dividend. Your stumbling blocks can be as uh, such a great stepping stone. Your scars can be turned to stars. And, and, uh, and your mess with Jesus Christ in your heart and working your li- life can be such a powerful message that it can change your world and the world around you. Take Jesus Christ today in your life and, it, and his word and watch miracles happen in your life and others that you too will, will serve as well. Janice, would you like to offer our closing prayer today? Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer today. Thank you for my testimony. Thank you for my life. Thank you for teaching me. And thank you, Father, for your your love, the chief servant of all coming down and, and showing us how to serve. Thank you for the love that you show each one. Even though we, undi- even though sometimes we may not recognise you or hear your voice, today we do. And I pray today the listeners will be blessed uh, by the, this conversation we've had today. They will want to know you better and uh, as a result will we'll change their lives and, and be able to change their world and their life around you. Praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dennis, thank you. It's been wonderful talking with you. I feel it's a real privilege to, to have had these conversations with you. I think my own understanding of what the world is like and should be has been enhanced by my contact with you. And I wish you really well in your humanitarian work and and your life and your health. Uh, The Lord will give you the health to be able to continue this sort of work for other people. You've been an inspiration to me. I know you will have been an inspiration to the people who've heard these conversations. And uh, I just pray for your continued success in the future. Remember to tune in again next time as I speak with another fascinating guest on Life Learnings. Until then, bye for now and God bless you and keep you.
You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.